0: Hey, Graham. Hi, hi. Do you think we should have a warning on this episode? Because it does get a little risque in story number two.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't really our fault. It was our special guest on this episode. Okay, it, so we don't need to have a warning. We don't he, need to have a warning. It was his fault. It was his fault. He kind of lowered the tone. He lowered the tone. Um, to such an extent that some people might not want to hear it. Particularly young people, maybe Yeah, but you do want to hear it So listen to it <laughs> <laughs> But don't say we didn't warn you We didn't about, warn you we, about, we decided not to warn them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. Well, anyway, it wasn't us That's the important thing
0: On with the show Smashing Security is supported by Recorded Future, the real-time threat intelligence company whose patented machine learning technology continuously analyzes technical, open, and dark web sources to give organization unmatched insight into emerging threats. Sign up for the free daily threat intelligence update at recordedfuture.com intel. That's recordedfuture.com intel.
2: Smashing Security Episode Thirty Four: The Pen Is Mightier Than the Password with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello,
1: hello, and welcome to Episode Thirty Four of Smashing Security for the twentieth of July, twenty seventeen. Tremendous to be here, and I'm joined as always by my good buddy Carol
0: Terrio. Hello, Carol. How are you? <laughs> are you having trouble speaking, T Mendes? What did I say? t Mendes. I kind of like it. Yes, t-mendous. I am Team Mendes.
1: <laughs> I'm T Mendes as well. And we are joined by a very special guest, technology writer and broadcaster David McClelland. Hello, David. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello, hello, Graham. And hello, Carol, as well. Lovely to kind of um, not e meet you, kind of podcast meet you, I suppose.
1: Yes. Well, it's, it's great to have you as uh, on here as well. Now, David, I, I know you from the Fraculous podcast, mm-hmm. but of course, you do much more than that. For people um, who don't know, or people who don't
2: live in the UK, tell us about yourself and why are you here? Yeah, why why are you here? Why am I be because you asked me last oh, week. Yes. I think, and and I promised that I would turn up. That's that's the main thing I think. Um, oh gosh i hate this question about who are you what do you do and i really should have this down to a t by now but um i started off in the it industry about 22 years ago now um doing doing actual it and then i got a bit bored of doing it so about 10 years ago i started to write about it and talk about it as well in fact one of my first jobs graham was to interview you i came over yes
1: i'm so sorry
2: <laughs> no, you were you were very good. I was very poor because I was still learning the ropes really? actually. But uh yeah, you, you were great. And we're talking about Facebook terms and conditions um, and ah. about how they were longer than the US Constitution and stuff like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I um, forgot about that. Yeah.
2: yeah, but anyway, so now I am, a, a like you say, a, a broadcaster and journalist. I do a lot of work with BBC, so shows, um, consumer affairs shows like Rip Off Britain. I've been their sort of tech expert yeah. and tech consumer champion for the last uh, six or seven seasons or so, and Watchdog, and I'm actually on telly. This Friday night, which will be the 21st, with a show in Wales in the BBC um, called X-Ray. And it's, it's a photography special where I'm going to be talking about Ownership of photos once you've uploaded them to social networks, how to use um, cloud storage safely. So sort of consumer stuff on safe use of the cloud. And Oh, that's uh, cool. That's yeah. a really
0: that's a really great topic,
1: actually. I, great that you did that. If we don't get BBC Wales, can we get that on iPlayer or something like that you instead? You
2: certainly can. And I will give you a link to the BBC iPlayer, which you can get, obviously, if you're in the UK and a licence fee payer. Um, if you aren't in the UK, <laughs> Okay, then there may be other ways to view it, but I couldn't possibly comment couldn't on this. Who, who can
1: say? Who can say? Um,
2: Carol, have you been having a good week? Done anything fun?
0: Um, have I done anything fun? I've done loads of fun things. I can't think of any at the moment. Getting ready to go off to Estonia next week is one of them. So I'll be away, but okay. we'll be recording uh, from there.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I um, watched that movie. You remember last week we had Michael Hux on the show and yes. he recommended that documentary as red I watched a it too. Okay, okay. We haven't
0: talked about this about
1: yet. About the uh, men's rights movement. Um, yeah. And, um, I watched it too. I can't <laughs> wait to hear what you thought. What did you think? I didn't think very much of it as a documentary, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry for the recommendation. Um, I, d- I just felt it sort of didn't go anywhere. What? And it's just like it didn't ask the right questions. There I was know. a very, very odd woman on it with bright red hair, curl. How who, dare you? How uh, dare you? Reminded me of somebody. But, oh,
0: really? Uh, no, she didn't She really. reminded you of me? No,
1: not really. But if you if you do get to see the red pill, it's, it is thought provoking, but ultimately... There. It wasn't quite there, was it?
0: No, which, I had trouble feeling sorry for them. Hmm. I had trouble. I had trouble.
1: Anyway, enough wiffle waffle. It's time to get to the meat of today's podcast. What we do every week is we look back over the last week's security news and we well talk about things which caught our attention. You know, there can be just a little story which caught our attention, we have a chat about it. I'm going to go first this week and uh um, oh, like f- wh-
0: the first time ever. <laughs>
1: I just <laughs> like to ahead. get it over and done with, and then I can <laughs> relax for the rest of the podcast. You know how it works. I saw a couple of things, actually. First of all, I just saw, just before the podcast sto- started, I saw a story on The Hollywood Reporter, which claims that Russian President Vladimir Putin is being written out of new movies because the studios are worried that they might get hacked. What? Mm. So, like, his character is being removed from scripts, is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there's a novel written by a former CIA officer. There's one called Red Sparrow, for instance, (laughs) about a a Russian spy being wooed by the CIA to be a double agent. And they've got Jennifer Lawrence, who's like the hot young thing to play the Russian spy. And there is a part in it, which is Vladimir Putin's part, right, in the book. But um, it appears that they're they're not they don't want Vladimir (laughs) in the story because, of course, you remember what happened with Sony uh with yeah, sony yeah, being yeah. hacked and many people thought it was north korea doing it because yeah. they had a movie out which was making fun of their um their glorious leader
0: i wonder and- if it's the legal teams that are actually nervous you know so they're they're forcing they're forcing people to kind of change the script yeah i wonder i don't know it's, it's it's interesting
1: isn't it because so many people at the moment are talking about russia as though that might be a little bit of a hotbed of hacking i can't imagine why people would think such a thing but uh, that isn't what I want to talk about. What I actually wanted to talk about was this MySpace has had another security snafu. Who and uses MySpace? Well, you may be surprised, actually. I mean, a lot of people make that joke like, oh, MySpace, you know, welcome to 2007 and all the rest of it. But actually, I think MySpace does continue. And there may, of course, be many people out there who might have created their accounts on MySpace back in its heyday. Yeah. And they may be long forgotten about it. You know, They may no longer have the email address, which was associated mm. uh, when they created that account. But what's come to light this time has not been a, a breach as such. It's not been like when they lost data, which has happened in the past, and they, they've had big snafus like that. What's happened here is a security researcher found a shocking security hole, which meant that anyone could seize control of somebody else's account just by knowing their name, the username. And their date of birth. So if you went to that account recovery page, the page where you'd normally go if you couldn't remember your password, you know how normally you have to jump through lots of hoops? Yes. Well, in this particular case, they just asked you, the only required fields were name, username, and date of birth.
0: Shut the front door.
1: (laughs) And username, obviously, is something you know purely by going to the MySpace profile. The name probably isn't going to be that much of a challenge either. Date of birth, well, anyone who's a dab hand at Google might well be able to find out your date of birth. And bam, you've gained access and control of the account.
0: Holy moly. hmm, Diabolical, right? Bad MySpace. Very bad.
1: Bad MySpace compounded by their response to it. So they were told about this in April by a researcher called Leanne Galloway. Okay, And we'll put a link into her latest blog post in the show notes. So she privately informed them, said, uh, guys, what responsibly, on earth is this?
0: Responsibly disclosed yes. it to them, saying, That's look, right. yeah,
1: okay. And what she heard back was, "A uh, thanks for contacting MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> this is an automated <laughs> response. <laughs> we'll take a look at this and get back to you if we have any questions. And she waited. And, and she waited. waited. And waited. And she thought after three months... This is a bit of a joke, isn't it? It's still there. People's accounts could still be being abused. That's awful. And so she posted a blog about it. And that, of course, suddenly focused everybody's attention on it. And MySpace thought, oh, yeah, maybe she's got a point here. Maybe we should fix this. And sure enough, they've now taken down that recovery page and, you know, they've they put a proper process in place. But my feeling about this is okay, that's appalling. And that's sort of ghastly in many ways, but maybe what we need to do is think about all of the websites where we might have created accounts way back in the Iron Age. Yeah,
0: the three or four hundred, maybe a thousand. Yeah, right. carry on. Yeah, that we
1: may no longer be, be- <laughs> <laughs> We Keep may going. no longer be using. And simply, what if you're not using them, delete it. Everybody who's making that joke about MySpace should try and work out if they have a MySpace account and delete it. Just wipe it. Because you don't need it. You don't use MySpace. Come on,
0: let's be serious. And ensure you're not using the same passwords anywhere else on the net. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I just think it isn't as easy as you make it sound. I've actually recommended that people try and do it like once every Friday. Go in and try and delete five accounts, you know. And if you can do that, you'll probably get through within three or four months, (laughs) right? Yeah. The other problem is people don't even remember where they've given their username and password. Think of all the apps people download and...
1: Yeah. You're right. I mean, it is horrendous. But but Um, better to try. I agree. And, you know, if if there's anything where you do have an opportunity to do it, do it. I realize over time you're going to forget things or no longer have access to email accounts or simply may forget. The other thing you should do, of course, is sign up for services like Have I Been Pwned, Mm -hmm. the the service run by Troy Hunt, which will inform you when a big data breach happens and whether your details have been included in it. That's a a good idea as well. But I, I just think, you know, this really is Horrendous, And there are too many websites making appalling mistakes like this.
0: I worked at a company before at which people were trying to contact them via the web administrator email address that was provided on the website, and no one was monitoring that website. So basically, yeah. it was going into the ether. So a good reminder for companies is to make sure the email address you have available on your pages for any problems or disclosures is up to date and monitored. Absolutely. Not going to some personal address of some guy who's or girl who's left the company.
1: And maybe listed an address which is security specific. You know, if you find right, a vulnerability right. or security problem with our company, you know, right, this, this is
0: how contact us. April, they were told and they haven't done anything till now. Well,
1: I'm going to go on mute now because uh, my dog's barking, <laughs> uh, which means probably my child and wife are coming home. But before I do that, I'm going to say, David, over
2: to you. What have you got to tell us? Well, I don't want to give your podcast an explicit or an adult content rating, but <laughs> I thought it might be a good idea oh, go to talk on. about sex because there have been, I guess, three stories that have uh, risen to the top over the last um, over the last week or so. The first one that's, that's hit this week is that the UK government is going to attempt to introduce age verification so that only those who are 18 and above can access websites that are hosting adult content. Now... Uh, okay. This is really complicated. Um, I mean, the, the, there's a number of angles on this. On the thir- on the one hand, look, I'm a I'm a parent. Yes, um, I think many of us will agree that attempting to safeguard children from accessing either deliberately or accidentally adult content while they're online, that's only going to be a good thing. Yeah. However. However what what the government what the UK government is is trying to do is it's set a deadline for April next year April 2018 and by then any websites that are offering adult content have to enforce this age verification now but what's don't, they proposed- already, don't they
0: have that already That they have don't they have to say are you of 18 are you 18 or above before you go yeah, into these sites
2: it's like the terms and conditions you yeah. can just tick a box and go, yep, I'm over 18 <laughs> yeah, yeah, with my squeaky voice. Right, right, right. Yeah, I am, yep. Yeah. So what they're looking at doing is <laughs> using credit cards as a means of identification because, in general, credit cards are only available to those who are 18 and above. So you're thinking, okay, yep, yeah, that kind of works, I suppose. Now, you don't need to tell me that there are a number of issues... <laughs> with this because let's face it, um, companies as a whole but particularly those firms that host adult content do not have a good track record of keeping people's details safe. Um, and We'll come on to one of those in a moment but the fact is if teenagers are determined to get hold of adult content to browse it online, they will find a way to do it and that the, there are any number of places that they will be able to go through, whether they're going through a VPN and going through a different country or whatever. But it it means that I don't see this actually being particularly effective for those who are most determined to look at stuff online. And
0: and also, there's all kinds of tools as well, though. There's lots of tools that parents, the parent tools, control tools that they can use on computers and, you know, and devices and stuff, which can seem to me a better idea. Absolutely.
1: But if someone's determined, these things can always be subverted, of can't they? Of and got round. I mean, it's, you're right. Obviously the VP. So, so this would affect all websites around the world, presumably. If, well, yeah. if They don't want to be fined. It's not just British porno no, websites.
2: Exactly, and the the impetus would be on the internet service provider, so whoever my internet service provider is yours, whatever, yes. to then block the content from oh. those websites if they are found to be in contravention of this age validation. And the UK's only got a number of months in order to do this. What is that, yeah. nine months or so? Yes. Yeah. There isn't a regulatory body in place for this yet. So what <laughs> um, what is being mooted is the BBFC, the British Board of Film Classification. That's the body that looks at... Um, uh, cinema releases and film releases and so on, and says, yep, that's a 15. Yep, that's yeah. an 18. Um, and it looks at pornographic content as part of that. Um, and it sounds as though it is going to be the body that has to uh, enforce this, at least in some way.
0: Are you th- Are you saying like on any website, though? Think- that's crazy. How are they going to do that? It's a big job. I don't even think it's even feasible.
2: I know. Wow.
1: So the the method of authentication they're proposing is credit cards. So if I was little Timmy, for instance, well, not not so little Timmy, but teenage Timmy, yep. I would go and grab my mum's credit card from her purse, write down the number, and give it to all my mates, right? And then
0: yeah, okay, yeah. you're gonna yeah, but you're not going to be the majority of teenagers, right? There's gonna, I think you're gonna fault. That's I gonna don't know. really, really. I don't, I don't know. I if you are determined
2: to, yeah. to to see this stuff, then I'd say that's a bit of a no brainer. Yeah.
1: It's not as though these websites, hopefully, are going to charge your credit card, unless you want the sort of premium service or something. This is purely for access. So, are they going to be stored? Is the idea that they-, they wouldn't be storing these credit card details? Or maybe well, maybe they I- would be temporarily while they're looking you- at them to see if they're valid. Or- yeah.
2: I, I mean, I... Obviously, the I's haven't been dotted and the Ts haven't been crossed yes. on this yet. There's a lot that still needs to be sorted out, but there will have to be a record of a name and presumably an email address and a credit card number that is stored online, and so those those details will then be associated with accesses pornographic content, and that sort of data is, um, I would say, pretty hot stuff.
0: Yes. Do you know what? This is just going to yeah. bring back, if this actually works, it's just going to bring back a magazines. I mean, that's how we all first saw porn, right? Finding some adults, you know, stash. Tell, tell <laughs> no, us more, no, I, I, Tell I, us more. How I'm, I'm just saying, I'm sure it's true for all of us. That is certainly how um, I came across this stuff. Jaw dropped. Oh my God.
2: But spe- <laughs> let, let's move very swiftly on. Speaking of yes. large stores of personal information and credit card details and so on, um, almost exactly mm-hmm. two years ago, many of us were very, very busy indeed covering the Ashley Madison data breach, which yeah. um, landed, I guess, first of all, at the end of July, and then at the end of August or so. Um, two years later, Ashley Madison's owners are laying down uh, what's looking like being an $11 million settlement to those who are suing the online purveyor of extramarital nookie. Um <laughs> That seems pretty small to me
0: for, well, so, for this kind so, yeah, of reach.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think about a third of that is set aside in legal fees. And in order huh. to claim your slice of this of this cash pie, you need to be <laughs> able to claim some material loss and prove rather some material loss. And they're estimating that those who can may get as much as three and a half thousand dollars. But the fact is, I mean, oh, I mean so,
0: <laughs> some people killed themselves over this. And <laughs> don't, and, don't exactly. worry, here's three grand. Yes. Here's three grand. That'll make it all better or marriages broke up if
1: a, if a marriage broke up is that a material loss i mean would you for three and a half thousand dollars is just,
2: where the lawyers earn their money in terms of quantifying exactly they, some of they're going to charge
0: a lot more than three grand as well for well,
2: the yeah, exactly i mean ashley madison is still going it's had uh, a lot of changes and its parent company has uh, has changed how it works as well but ashley madison is still there if you want to if you want to do that stuff but i'm um, sure they
0: don't use female bots anymore to chat up their men i'm I sure that never happens
2: and I certainly hope that they delete <laughs> accounts when you tell them to do oh, so. Oh, I'm sure they do, yeah. 100%. But um, yeah. onto on to my final piece now. If Ashley Madison left its yes. members wanting when it came to security, another provider of online services is trying a little bit harder. Alert. Alert. The following segment may be unsuitable for young ears. We did warn you earlier. I hope you were listening. Anyway, it's David McClellan's fault. That's the important thing to remember. Not Carol or Graham. Thanks and good luck. So on to my final piece now. If Ashley Madison left its members wanting when it came to security, another provider of online services is trying a little bit harder. So a a porn (laughs) website. (laughs) I see what you did there. um, Yes, thank you. You're quick, Graham. You're quick. You're quick. Yeah. (laughs) And there's more. Um, a, A pornography website, which I'm not going to name, but it is looking to introduce biometric authentication for its male members if you catch my drift
0: are you talking dick pics
2: we are we are talking (laughs) dick pics there we go you went there i wasn't going to go there but now you've opened the floodgates yeah there we go so what what, what actually are they going to do they are so it claims it's gonna be like a passport picture but of your (laughs) no smiling (laughs) um it claims that the male member has, that the male reproductive organ has many characteristics that allow for unique identification. Really? And, yeah, get this, it's it has the added benefit of not being on public show to the same extent that your fingers and fingerprints and that your uh, iris, your, your eyes are as well. But um, in the first instance, from what I could tell, it's actually just asking you to take a picture of it. There's no special sort of scanner or any special... Sort of technology. Right, he doesn't stick
1: it in anything to get a scan. Not
2: yet, but they want you to send a picture of your dick to them in order to authenticate who you are. This is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is it is it possible they're actually just working on a different website which is going to have pictures of men's penises on it? Possibly, and
0: what, they just
2: need to collect some.
0: Oh, yeah, because that's what women want to look up a lot. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, again, definitely... this is another website that I certainly would not trust with any of my personal details, particularly not that one. <laughs> this so. This this is a publicity stunt, right? This isn't this, this, actually this happening. Totally, please tell to me the, <laughs> this
1: is nonsense.
2: Um, this is, uh, do you know what? I did click through to the website uh, to to the link of, that it gave me for research to take, of purposes. Of you for, for research, research purposes, <laughs> only. and I think it stayed on my browser for about five seconds before I'm like, no, I'm not having this in my history. Goodbye. Does so it I give closed you? It down does, straight it,
0: does it give you advice on how to actually take your dick pic, You know, to be side on or to be <sighs> Go uh, to copy it? Yeah.
2: It, it, <laughs> It wants Full an color. erect. It wants an erect dick. Oh, pic.
0: shut up! Hang on, shut this is before up. you get onto the site. Yes, this is to authenticate do they, you. Yeah, they give you some fluffer pics first. Do you, do just yeah, do you make... have to go
1: to another website first of all in order to get ready to get to this one. So you're
2: probably thinking that wasn't that bad. Well, it's about to get worse. Remember, it wasn't Graham or Carol's fault. Do you, yeah, do you have to go to another
1: website, first of all, in order to get ready to get to this one?
2: All right. If we're going there, in the press we release have. that I've... We, we have gone there. In the press release, it talks about the fact that one of the identifying features of the male member oh is vein size. Oh so,
0: God. <laughs> Okay. What, exactly. What this,
2: that's, we've probably crossed their line. There was a line. We've crossed it, and we've crossed it again.
0: They've crossed it. We didn't cross it. We're just telling the good folks out there not to fall for this. Yeah. To
1: think we had complaints when we talked about Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, now this has happened. Carol, yes. Can you save us from all? Thank, uh, thank yes. you,
0: David. Very much. I'm so glad you
1: came on. <laughs> You're welcome. I- welcome.
0: I am going to yank you both out of this murky, murky oh, water. Um, so I'm going to talk about surveillance. And uh, I'm going to call this segment, the S and IoT stands for security. So this is all about surveillance cameras. And uh, can you guess how many are around estimated in the UK or the US?
1: There's, there's a lot in the Isn't the UK meant to have more? per square mile yeah. than anywhere else in the world yeah. or something.
0: So i found four to six million CCTV surveillance cameras oh. in the UK. Okay, that's 40 per square mile or one for every 10 people. I did my little math. Right and right if I that's
2: wrong? averaged across the whole of the UK, I mean, we've got a lot of empty space in the UK. When exactly. The all, so on. When yeah. you get to central London, that's going to be super intense, isn't <laughs> exactly, it?
0: Exactly, exactly. And there's 60 million um, estimated in the US. So that's like one in 20 people or 16 per square mile. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of security cameras out there. So how friggin' scary is it when we learned this week that a serious vulnerability in hundreds, if not thousands, of security camera models, let alone any other IoT device, was uncovered by security researchers? So... Let me, let me tell you how this vulnerability came to light. It's from a security firm called Senrio, and they found a stack buffer overflow vulnerability in the security camera model from Axis Communications, a manufacturer of these security cameras. And they've dubbed this vulnerability Devil's Ivy. So. The security guys found that if attackers managed to access the vulnerable camera, they could take remote control of this video feed. They could deny the admin or owner access to the video feed, and they could prevent the admin from making any setting changes.
1: So they can see what the camera's doing, but they can also prevent the true owner of the camera seeing what it is seeing. Yes. So this is... This is a bit sort of Hollywood heist, isn't it?
0: Yes, they could take control of the camera and change where it looks, see what it's seeing. Exactly. How cool is that? So, if you're going to roll It's really somewhere- cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Let me tell you how cool it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, this company, right, who produced this particular um, camera that Senrio tested, confirmed that this devil's ivy vulnerability was present in 249 distinct camera models that they sell. Only three old models are unaffected. Right. And Access are likely to have sold millions of these devices, right? So we're still, this buffer overflow vulnerability is not access communications code, but part of an open source code library, and it's called GSOAP. Now, this is managed by another company called Genevia. So why I'm saying all this. So just as a background, many developers, rather than writing code from scratch, will use trusted open source code libraries to speed up their coding. It's like a cut and paste job, right? Mm -hmm. Just speeds everything up. One of the problems with coding libraries is it kind of, if they're popular, it can act like a homogeneous environment, right? If the library is found vulnerable, the impact can be huge, impact lots of people. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening here with these security cameras, right? There's an estimated 34 different companies that have developed IoT products with this vulnerable GSOAP code. So, how many IoT devices are impacted? We don't even know. So it's not just AXIS's security, uh, security
1: cameras, it's all manner of other IoT devices yes. using this particular piece of code. So the programmers were lazy, basically. They thought, has someone already written this code? Well,
0: or, oh, they, or they, Well, no, no. Lots of people use these things, right? It's right. a kind of way to kind of also simplify things. You may not be a particular expert in area, right? So you might go grab, you know, it's a bit like themes for, Word sites, uh, for, you know, for, for websites. I think it's just kind of, you know, it's a cut and paste, helps you just get on with the job. Yeah. But if there's a vulnerability in yeah. there then Yeah, big problem. there's a vulnerability everywhere. The good news is Geneva have released an update to resolve the issue and that happened on the twenty first of June. Okay. And that Access Communications uh, immediately pushed out a firmware update to fix their security, you know, camera software. And it's a firmware update. And they pushed it out for all their models, all their vulnerable models. And, you know, I have to give them a a hat tip, actually, because I love, you know, I love that they were really honest in the press about how, you know, that they were vulnerable, that they immediately issued a fix, and they've been trying to push it out to all their users. And also, the other good news is note that often security cameras not all IoT devices, but security cameras are often behind firewalls and other security measures that make it more difficult for hackers to get access to, right? So what you want to make sure is that your IoT device is not public-facing, right? So if you can't access it from the outside world, you've made it harder for others to access from the outside world. However, there is some bad news here. Um, Because this vulnerability requires a firmware update, the fear is that ma- a lot of manufacturers aren't even going to bother pushing out an update. One of the reasons is because you don't even know if the IoT device you possess is vulnerable or not, right? You and, unless your manufacturer tells you, you're not going to be you're not going to be aware. The manufacturer might know, but the consumer doesn't
1: know, do they? Exactly. There's G soap code in there.
0: Exactly. And the other problem is it's not always straightforward to, you know, do updates to firmware. So you can imagine how much information you might have to give to someone who's not technically, you know, very savvy on how they have to go about doing this. And so- manufacturers may have gone bust, or they may have little oh, interest in spending yes. the money, you know,
1: it's, um, so it's they a may bit not of a have nightmare. the infrastructure for sending out updates to different products. I mean, it's appalling to hear, but there's still lots of IoT devices which you simply cannot update, right?
0: Well, exactly. That's a big problem. So I think if you are concerned, you should maybe contact the manufacturer with the model number of the IoT device you have and request to find out whether the vulnerable uh, GSOAP code is being used in this device. Um, You may or may not get an answer. Let's hope (laughs) they do answer you because, um, you know... This is. I just find this really scary because I don't think anyone's going to be aware. And these things are looking at us everywhere. There's, I mean, they're everywhere. Even cops. I just read this week. Cops yeah. are going to be wearing, uh, you know, body cams that now can do facial recognition. So
1: that's good. <laughs> Dave, David, you're a technology journalist. I, I mean, you're obviously encountering a lot of this cool new tech and the Internet of Things. Do you have a dingus in your house? Do you? Do you would you allow these <laughs> things into your house? Do you feel comfortable with them? Are we being old curmudgeons? Where, where do you stand on this kind of thing?
2: Well, two things. First of all, that the fact that this all stems from an open source library a vulnerability found there. That makes me think straight away of probably open source's worst day, I seem to remember someone describing it as, which was yes. Heartbleed, which yes. was uh, the OpenSSL library, I think. Yep. Yep. Um, and that, of course, uh, I, I, I'm sure is still an issue. So there is some case history there, and I wonder mm. how many of those devices um, that were affected there still remain unpatched, still still haven't had the updated version of that mm. library pushed down to them. Um, but in terms of devices lying around my house now... um. I'm not going to lie, I do have quite a few and I've got many more sitting on a on a shelf behind me. I have a Nest cam looking at me right now, one of those Google uh, home security cameras. I've got uh, a Ring doorbell uh <laughs> downstairs which I know has had uh, people have um, cried yeah. out at that before and I've got um some Amazon Echo and Echo dot devices around the house. So I mean it's it's kind of my job to yeah. um to, to live the life to 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 feel to to get a sense as to whether this technology can actually help us and as as part of that I guess it's to experience the ups and the downs with mm. that um so so yeah I and the thing I, I okay so at infosec Europe a couple of weeks ago I was having conversations with with some security vendors and particularly when it comes to IOT security I was saying well look why is there not a a traffic light system like we have on food when we go to the supermarket we can see from a a little symbol on the front whether it's high in sugar whether it's high in salt and so on why is there not the equivalent for home webcams for home you know um, microphones or or, home whatever it is that gives us a sense uh, an independent sense as to how secure these devices are you know whether they have had some independent testing against them which means that you know they don't ship with default passwords that are well yeah. publicize and so on. I think that'd be a great idea. It's just struck home to me, the obvious flaw there is yeah. that many of these, we don't know about the vulnerabilities exactly. yeah. until one, two, three years later when yeah. someone finds that vulnerability in a bit of code. So we might be lured into a, a false sense of security saying, yep, this source green all around. I'm going to buy this webcam yeah. and stick yeah. it in my bedroom. Exactly. <laughs> it,
0: you know what? And it also gives me, it made me think that maybe this is a reason to register warranties or whatever with manufacturers when you buy specific devices if only to get the security informational update because otherwise you may not even know that this is the case. And, you know, your TV could be sitting there recording you the whole time through I its little th- camera. I think you have
2: to have a high degree of confidence in the manufacturer for whom you're buying this in the first place that if that, that, that they will be proactive and they will be responsive. You know, maybe some of the manufacturers that you buy stuff, if you buy cheap, you may end up buying twice at the end of the day from a security point of view. If mm. it comes from a no-name Chinese um, device manufacturer, then the chances are they're not going to be as eager to get in touch with you as if you're buying from names.
1: Name. Yeah, and there ends our weekly rant about the security of the Internet of Things. I'm sure we'll be back next week for more <laughs> grumbling and moaning about it. But
2: it does um, good things too. I, I know there are security loopholes, but you know, like, well, like you say, like I say, there are lots of great things that do that that these devices do too. I mean, my my yeah. kids would they they love some of the things that Alexa is able to do for them and it makes my whole life a lot easier as well so right. I, I think it's important I know we're, I know this is a, a technology security podcast but I think it's important to try and get a sense of balance as well which I I know you do I know you do that
0: <laughs> he's basically, calling, calling, us, that. He's basically <laughs> calling us curmudgeonly uh, I, I, I hear it I get the
1: and call. he would be right Okay, it's time to hear who who might have sponsored our podcast this week. Let's find out. Who is going to be our sponsor this week? Sponsors. Yeah, we love sponsors. Are you going to interrupt me? I thought you were going to interrupt me. Say, Graham, who's the sponsor? Graham. Let me, let me, yes. Hi. 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 Graham, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor is Recorded Future. You know them. They're cool. They do all kinds of cool things. Like? They look on the web. They look on the dark web. They, they peruse the internet in its darkest corners, and they work out what are the new emerging threats and vulnerabilities from the world of hacking and cybersecurity, and then they bundle it all up. They wrap it up in a beautiful ah. ribbon and send it to you in a free email. If you want to be ahead of the game, I guess you get their free daily email. Of course you do. But first of all, you've got to sign up for it. Otherwise, they won't know to send it to you. They're not that clever. Uh, Go to RecordedFuture.com slash Intel. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Welcome back to the show. And um, before we wrap up today, we uh, are going to... Yeah, we're going to have a little pick of the week. Don't make it like that dreadful documentary, The Red Pill, please. Uh, let's let's have some oh, better. What? Well, no, it's
0: all right. I'm you know sure what? some I, people liked it. I'm going to find out if Michael Hux actually listens to this podcast.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he won't be impressed I've slagged off his pick of the week, will he? Maybe he'll slag off the one I'm about to recommend. Because having watched The Red Pill, I thought, oh, I need to see something good now. And um, now I might have mentioned before, I'm a bit of a Doctor Who fan. And <laughs> there's been a... Bit of a bit of a, a bit of a to do going on, because, of course, there was the unveiling of the new Doctor Who, who is a woman. Uh, yes, finally. An alien time traveller can apparently be a woman as well as a man, which is fantastic news. I think it's terrific. And uh, Jodie Whittaker won the job, which is uh, super duper. But one of the other people who was in the running was an actress called Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh, I love her. And um, I was reading this, I was on the Doctor Who forums online, and I was, because everyone was trying to work out, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Please don't be Chris Marshall. Do you guys, and, bet, um, on, do you, do you guys bet
0: on it? Do you Do you have like... A I, little...
1: I didn't bet, but there, there was a lot of betting at the bookies. Oh, really? Here. And uh, you kind of always know with Doctor Who, in the last few Doctor Whos, uh, about 24 hours before the announcement, there is a sudden rush of betting for the person who ultimately gets it. There must be a leak in Cardiff or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So we all we all kind of guessed, you know, although there was this female element, which was a, some, as to whether that would really, really happen. But we all kind of knew it was going to be Jodie. But anyway, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and I was curious. I thought, oh, what is she? And it turns out she's been in this show, which I'm rather late to. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry about this. But I've it's- been catching it up on iPlayer, and I think it's also maybe streaming on Amazon Prime. It's called Fleabag.
0: Oh, yeah, that came out last year.
1: Yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. But anyway, I've just watched it and I binge watched it. There's about six episodes. You uh, liked it, is- it right? Oh, it's so wonderful. Yes. Okay, good. I loved it too. It is. She's great. Have you seen this, David?
2: I watched it last night. I watched the first episode last night. I had a bit of an inside line that you would be talking about this. And I thought, well, maybe I should watch it too. Because my wife was going nuts about this last year as well. So I kind of felt as though I had a bit of catching up to do. And I I quite agree. I think she's fantastic. And not only does she play the lead in there, but she also, I think, executive produces it. That's right. She had a uh, a lot at stake with this show. And it seems to have paid off.
1: I think it used to be a one-woman show. I think she did it like on stage and and Mm -hmm. now it's become a TV show. She is tremendous.
0: Can I say I would have really liked her to be in Doctor Who even though I'm not a big avid fan of Doctor Who. I have to say. I would have started watching.
1: But I think maybe the fact that she isn't Doctor Who might mean that we get a second series of Fleabag one day which I think I'd be very happy about. But it is funny. It's adult. Let's point this Mm -hmm. out. It's possibly even more adult than David's segment on the show today.
0: I don't I don't think anything could be more adult than that.
2: I didn't um, drop any F-bombs or, or or any other kind of four-letter word bombs, unlike Phoebe in Fleabag. It, 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 yeah. is,
1: um, it is funny, but it's also bleak. And I have to say, there is a bit of darkness in my heart which really was attracted to the bleak, <laughs> grim nature of this show. Because, David, you're going to have to watch all six episodes because, oh, my word. It just gets better and better. So there's my recommendation. Go and check out Fleabag. Don't show it to your kids. Um, but um, you might well enjoy it yourself. It was phenomenal, I thought.
2: Yeah, David, what have you got? My pick of the week. Pick of the week is... Oh, I
0: didn't do that.
2: <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. We have
0: to always I... do that. Oh. Do it now. Do it now.
2: So that was
1: my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. It's good that David listens to the show, so he knows... Yeah.
0: He, yeah. knows all the, he knows our well, own jokes. He knows what we're
1: meant to do better than
2: us. Right. David, over to you for your pick of the week. My pick of the week is also a podcast, but it's not a security podcast. Uh, well, at least not immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So Mozilla, who we all know as um, uh, veterans of the World Wide Web, have released yes. a new podcast called IRL, uh, In Real Life in uh, Netspeak, because online life is real life. And it's... Um, It's only launched a few weeks ago and it's um, two episodes in so far, but um, it's great. And the two episodes have been, uh, first of all, about how our data moves around online and the roles that so-called data brokers play in buying it, aggregating it, selling Mm -hmm. it, what happens when it goes wrong as well. And that's... um, I mean, even for those of us who, you know, work in the industry, have, have various lenses onto the industry, It's uh, it was fairly eye-opening. And the other topic e- that they talked about was net neutrality, a massive topic that I know yes. you guys discussed only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's, uh, it's it's really good to listen to. It's very energetic and it's produced very much like a kind of NPR radio feature, not the kind of conversational thing that we have. It feels a, a, yeah. a little bit a faster paced than that. Sl- yeah. Slicker. More professional
0: <laughs> well, yeah. um, Less
2: swearing uh, perhaps, perhaps less swearing um, But um, but yeah So I think that's definitely worth Definitely worth a listen to And Veronica Belmont Is uh, again Very much of a, a, an internet citizen And uh, yeah I think it's great And I think you will think it's great too IRLpodcast.org Cool And um, it's also on Spotify as well
1: I listened to it actually this uh, This morning in the shower And mm-hmm. it was It was great It was a really good podcast, I thought, and uh, I've subscribed to for future episodes, so I would recommend it. I agree with you, David. Great choice. Super. Okay. I'm
0: going to put it on my list. Uh, So that was David's pick of the week. (laughs) Carol, what have you got for us? Well, for my pick of the week, I wanted to point you to Engadget's big fat piece on Google Glass being officially back. So we'll all remember. Because we were all missing it, weren't we?
1: (laughs) So
0: I'm glad that's back. I thought it completely died in 2015, but it turned out they just put it on ice. Well, actually, not even on ice. They just took it out of public view, Mm. and they've been secretly working on it, squirreling away, working with other, um, you know, other uh, companies to try a brand new market. So instead of focusing on individuals and selling it to us consumer types, they're going after industry. Now, that's kind of cool because, it you know, you can think I can, you know, think healthcare, think production floors, logistics, retail. There are so many huge advantages to being able to use it in a work environment, getting information, you know, when you're very busy, just right there um, through your voice and being able to see it immediately while you're carrying on doing a task. So what they're doing is they're, they're using third parties to optimize the Google Glass for specific tasks or individuals. Industries, and then it'll be sold by specialist companies. So effectively, Google partners to specific industries or specific companies. Forrester say by 2025 there's going to be like 14.4 million U.S. workers wearing smart glasses. And I suspect actually that's underplaying it. I think if Google launched this correctly, I think it could be way higher than that. The other cool thing I like about this, even though I actually am not a big fan of the whole Google Glass on the street thing at all, because I'm curmudgeonly, David. (laughs) I <laughs> don't know what you're talking about, Carol. Um, I like the idea that it's being kind of touted as a business tool, right? So apparently, in test environments, that you know they've had companies, lots of big companies, testing us like DHL, and they've been working on it. But then they leave it in the office at the end of the day. Now, yes, I know right now it's still a prototype, so maybe they weren't even allowed to take it out of the office. But maybe it'll just be left in the office, you know, in in the ways that actually none of our devices today are. Right? The truth <laughs> is
1: if if you wear one of these things. You don't just look like a dork, you feel like a dork.
0: But if you... Okay, everyone said that to my dad back in the 80s when he was going around with his mobile phone with a battery pack the size of France to make sure he would be, when he was on call, as a doctor. Okay, all right. But you see... The difference
1: in what you're now suggesting, uh, the Google glasses, is it's like, oh, I'm doing this for my job, or I'm a dentist, and that's why I have to wear these special mm-hmm. glasses. Whereas if you wear them yourself socially, people are going to snigger oh, yeah. behind your back or punch you on the
2: nose. Uh, I, I'm gonna, and, I'm gonna chuck another couple of angles into this. All right. Um, so the first thing was that you know when Google Glass did launch, to begin with, I think many people bought into it. There was a massive hype, massive buzz around it, and a lot of sort of latent desire until they finally did release it to developers. And then it was a case of, right, well, what does it actually do? And there are very right. few apps released for it. So yeah. in, I think it was a good technology, but it was released at a time before, I think, societally we were and culturally we were able to cope with it. However, look at what Snap Inc is has done with its mm-hmm. Snapchat spectacles. They are a fashion device. Yes. They do one thing and they do it really quite well. And uh, a, a new line over the last day or so is that Snap is now selling its Snapchat spectacles <laughs> on Amazon.
0: Oh, um, great. So
2: they are likely to go mainstream. Now, at the moment, if you are walking down the street or at, you know, at the pub with some friends or something and you see someone wearing some Snapchat spectacles, actually they get a lot of positive interest. And I've been in this situation right. myself, you know, that they are a little bit cool. And when someone is recording with them, the, the the little LEDs on the front sort of spin around. So you can tell, but they look quite cool. But they aren't okay. trying to do everything. They're not trying to replace the whole mobile phone experience. <laughs> anyway, so I think that we will start to see smart glasses reappear not only into the enterprise and business but also into more consumer applications. But it's going to be a little bit more slowly, slowly baby steps. The other thing, the other thing, I urge you. You to have a look at a Bloomberg report that they put out only a couple of days ago, I think on Meta which is an augmented reality set of spectacles (laughs) and it was uh, an interview with its boss there and also it um, shown how basically no one in the office is allowed to use a computer screen anymore they all have to wear these glasses for their work even for their desktop work for doing their emails and for doing their word processing and whatever else they have to wear these glasses it looks a bit foolish to me I think that actually keyboards and mice are a pretty reasonable user interface rather than waving your hands about in thin air mm. with no tactile feedback, but I'll send you a link, Graham. I think yeah. it's really interesting to look at it. About you know, we're seeing these glasses as being some sort of nirvana, but actually, I think we have a middle ground to find with them. Okay,
0: we should put them in the show notes. We should put a link.
1: Yeah, in yeah, the show notes we we will we do that. Uh, thank you, David. That's, yeah. v- that's very
0: interesting. This this whole thing though does doesn't. Do you remember Black Mirror that episode? Um, it was like History of You or t- all in- entire History of You. And it was where people had implants that recorded everything that they see and say, and it allowed you to play back situations. It was called redos. They were called redos. I think so you could actually replay a situation, and then, and of course, it was black mirror. So you know, so kind of, if I was having
1: an argument with my wife over what I'd said yeah. an hour before and exactly what words I had used, yeah, for instance, this is a hypothetical scenario. Well,
0: also, I'd be able
1: to I'd be able to rewind and play it and say, "Look, this is what really happened."
0: Exactly, or she could say, "Hey, I don't believe you did this uh, last Thursday. Show me."
1: <laughs> you know. Well, Carole, you were the one who was. Uh, concerned that the US was lagging behind Britain in terms of the, uh, the, the coverage of CCTV cameras. Maybe if this takes off
0: Oh yeah, um, I was very concerned about that, yes. Will it we'll,
1: we'll increase the intensity of that as well? That'd be fantastic, won't
0: it? I, I, I just don't think we're built for, for for having recordings. I don't think we're built, you know, um, to be able to kind of say this is exactly what happened. I think that's why memory is selectively, uh, <laughs> you know, selects what you should remember and what will actually destroy you in the end if you remember it all the time. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> once again... <laughs> I don't know
1: why people know listen to this podcast, to be honest. Shouldn't shouldn't we be a bit more cheerful and upbeat? David, um, where can people find out more about you or listen to your podcast? Or uh, we, we know you're going to be on the TV on Friday, uh, and people can catch up with your on iPlayer as well. Is there anywhere else where they should follow you online?
2: Oh, yes. Well, certainly on Twitter, at David McClelland. That's probably the best place to get hold of me. And uh, just do a Google or your favourite search engine. Others are available for Fraculus Podcasts, and you'll find us in all of the places there.
1: Tremendous. Well, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Carol, as well for joining us. If you like the show, um, what should people do, Carole, if they, if they like well, the podcast? Well, if
0: people like the show, they should tell us what they like, and they can do that in the form of a review. That's what they should do.
1: Oh, okay. And you can go to the Smashing Security website and drop us a line at studio at smashingsecurity.com. Email us if you're too shy to leave a public review telling us what you like and what you don't like. And maybe we'll have a feedback episode soon as well. Mm. That could be fun. Until next time, then. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye. Sorry about that, remember that, if you have any complaints, you have been listening to Security Now, with Steve Gibson.